Did you know, in 2018, more than 480 billion plastic bottles were sold? That's almost 1 million every minute. Welcome to Sustainability Matters Today, where you'll learn about the fantastic work people and organizations are doing right now to heal our planet through environmentally friendly products and methodologies. My name is Daniel Hartz, and I speak with amazing champions of sustainability who prove a clean and beautiful future on Earth is possible because green practices oftentimes make financial sense. I aim to uncover the important role money plays in people's decisions to adopt and commit to environmentally friendly practices in order to create a chain reaction of positive change. In each episode, you'll also learn practical steps you can take every day to live a more eco-friendly lifestyle. Let's jump in. In this episode of the Sustainability Matters Today podcast, I interview Scott Edwards, founder and CEO of Dropwater and champion of compostable water bottles. Dropwater is making bottled water more sustainable with their unique packaging and manufacturing methods. For their innovation, Scott and his team won the silver prize for the 2018 FedEx Small Business Grant Contest, beating 7,800 other applicants. You can get drop water beverages from drop kiosks currently found in both terminals at the San Jose airport, and a kiosk was recently added into the San Francisco airport. Please make sure to subscribe to the Sustainability Matters Today podcast to learn about other champions of sustainability. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Thank you for joining me, Scott. You're welcome. Yeah, I'm glad we had a we had the chance to reconnect. It's been like over 10 years since we last talked after graduating high school. And you've been working on some exciting technologies over the last five to six years at Dropwater. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to hearing more about it. Before we jump into the specifics, could you please give some background in terms of when you realized you were interested in sustainability and why you decided to start Dropwater? Yeah, sure. So, you know, when I went to school, I went to Cal Poly. And if you've ever been to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, you're just surrounded by beautiful nature, beaches. And I've always had, you know, connection with nature. I do a lot of sports out in the ocean and in the mountains and stuff. And I just by chance, I studied packaging. And, you know, the packaging industry is really what's driving a lot of the single use uh, plastics into our environment. So I was being trained how to, you know, make a product survive from where it's made to where it's consumed. And in order to do that, you have to use materials that have great oxygen barriers that are very strong, great mechanical properties um, in order to survive that very violent distribution chain and shelf life. And I thought, man, this whole system is is like flawed from the beginning. You're set up for failure for making sustainable packaging because it has to has to be made for this current system. And so um, that's when I got really into sustainability when I was thinking about that problem at Cal Poly, and I made it my senior project um, to to try to you know, find a different way where how we can get bottled drinks to consumers, which would reduce the requirements placed on packaging. And that's where it all started at, at school at Cal Poly. That's so cool. I think it's really rare that what you study in university and college actually translates in what you end up doing like directly. I mean, you're just basically carrying on what you started in university. Yeah, I think it is rare. Um, and 
I think it's also rare that you you find something you enjoy and can just like dedicate your life to and and that's what I'm doing and I'm totally set. I know what needs to happen and I see the vision and we're just going for it. Yeah, that's so cool. To give a bit more context, you you mentioned that the whole supply chain is a bit flawed and you're set up to fail from the very beginning. Um, so just to give a bit of context for people listening, when I stopped by your lab, uh, you were explaining that the primary reason plastic and aluminum are used for water and other drinks is really so that they can survive the distribution cycle, as you mentioned. So where exactly are water and other drinks normally bottled? And what happens from that moment until someone buys the drink and actually drinks it? Yeah, so they're bottled in in a few different like typical locations. Um, a very large percentage is actually just municipal water. So big companies are taking uh, tap water, filtering it, put, putting it into you know, plastic bottles, the bottles into cases, the cases into pallets, and then distributing it from there. Right now, they're, they're sourcing the water far away from the consumer, um, and that just requires a lot of infrastructure to get that to the end consumer, and that's what we're trying to change. Wow. So f- first of all, it's, it's just tap water in a bottle. Yeah, a very large part of the market is is just tap water in a bottle. If next time you're drinking a bottle of water, look at it, see where it's sourced. Um, if it says from municipal sources, you're drinking tap water that's been filtered. Not, not a lot of people know that. Um, we're a big proponent to um, you know, influencing people to drink local, like drink water that's at you. The Our government spent trillions of dollars making incredible networks and pipes um, to bring tap water to every building we should be drinking that water and not the water that, you know, some company is putting in a bottle from hundreds or thousands of miles away. Um, yeah. I think the fact that it's tap water, it kind of makes you realize just how powerful marketing can really be to make you think that it, that it's anything other than just, you know, someone turned on the tap and then sticks this plastic bottle underneath it. You mentioned, you know, there is the tap water, then they filter it, they bottle it, put it in cases, pallets. Is that the distribution cycle itself? Yeah, so the the distribution cycle or channel is everything between where it's bottled and when it gets into your hand. So uh, it can be really, really long. It can be you know kind of short. If you go to Costco, it's a pretty short distribution cycle. Um, but typically, if you're out and about and you are thirsty, you want a bottled drink. It's been on a very long journey. It's had it's traveled a lot, um, and basically. Yeah, it's it's everything between the bottler and uh, you, the consumer. So it can be, you know, going from uh, injection blow molder that makes the actual package. They transport those to a bottler, and then those get you know wrapped up and prepared for that long journey in cases, and then then pallets, and then it could be uh, you know go through different uh, distributors, and then wholesalers eventually go to retailer or a vending operator. And it's like a smaller and smaller value chain until finally it gets to you, the consumer, and you are paying for every step along that journey. Um, and a lot of the times that that whole cost associated with getting it to you costs way more than the product itself. And that, to me, just is backwards. There's already water where you are. Let's use that water. That's crazy. And And I guess just tying it back to the use of plastic and aluminum, uh, that whole process, it sounds like there's a lot of movement. And because of that movement, you know, 
people taking things off trucks and moving them into different storage or warehouses, which are then repositioned and moved again somewhere else. Is that why you need such strong materials like plastic or aluminum or something in order so that the bottles and cans don't break? Is that? Yeah, the goal for packaging is to ensure your product gets to the consumer in you know perfect form. So um, the the reason we use so much plastic and aluminum and you know cartons, you know you might think cartons are better than you know plastic bottle, but really they're they're lined by multiple layers of polyethylene and a layer of paperboard and a layer of aluminum. And the aluminum is an oxygen barrier that prevents the atmosphere from from getting into the drink and, and changing its taste to ensure that it is it is a perfect product when, it's, when it gets to the consumer. So it's it's like a bunch of armor. Like these packaging these packaging materials are great at protecting the product, and it's like putting on armor. And when it gets to you, and you consume it for a few moments, then you're left over with this extremely strong material um, that's no longer useful. In and uh, that's that's the problem that we're all faced with right now. Currently, we're producing hundreds of billions of these single-use polymers, and they're accumulating everywhere. Um, you know, there's huge problems with who actually recycles these materials if they actually get recycled. And we want to you know kind of shift away from requiring this super strong armor um, and and you know, give packaging a chance, uh, to become more like a, you know, a fruit skin, um, you know, where it doesn't need to be so strong. It doesn't need to have an oxygen barrier because it won't go through that cycle in the first place. Makes sense. Uh, one of the main slogans, and it's right at the top of, of your bottle is that drop water bottles are made specifically not to last. And so I really, I really like the sound of that. What exactly does it mean? Yeah. So, you know, I'm sure you guys have heard probably of, you know, made to last. Um, yeah. We're flipping that. And and we think packaging should be made not to last because you're only using it for a few moments um, before you, you know, it's no longer useful to you. So that basically means, hey, you're going to enjoy this product and, uh, you know, drink whatever you're going to drink out of it for just a few moments. And it doesn't make sense to make packaging that is built to have a year-long shelf life or two-year shelf life if you're only going to use it for an hour. Um, so we're, we're trying to make packaging that is only useful for how long you're going to use it. And then, um, you know, it can have a chance to, to break down, to biodegrade, and to, you know, cooperate with nature, um, and not, you know, be an eyesore or become waste in the ocean and, and float around for decades uh, and enter into our food chain. It's a very interesting way to look at it because you're absolutely right. We use, I mean, in some cases, we use a bottle of water for like 30 seconds, maybe. If you're really thirsty, you just buy it, crack it open, drink the whole thing, and then you're done. But it's, as you said, it's a very strong armor that's meant to protect it for months and months or even years. Um, so what, what are the bottles made of? I mean, how do they work and why exactly are they 100% compostable? Yeah, so um, the bottle is you're, you're kind of drinking out of a bag. Mm. And so there's a closure on top and then um, it's attached to a bag on the inside. And then we use a uncoated paper 
to make the shell, to make it rigid. Um, so it doesn't like flop around like a, a water balloon. And yeah. the, the, it's actually mostly paper. So over half of it by weight is just paper and it's uncoated. It is home compostable. Um, and there's absolutely no polyethylene or aluminum liner on it. Like you'd see with all the other aseptic cartons, uh, like milk cartons and, and stuff like that. And then the cap and shoulder and bag are a compostable polymer um, that reach a, a compostability standard. And we actually exceed the standard by 40% just by wall thickness. And we're, we're pushing the envelope every day. We're trying to make uh, that cap and, and bag um, eventually all edible. Um, and, there's, and I think finally now that we have figured out how to get it to the consumer without requiring all these super strong materials and, and oxygen barrier because it has to survive a distribution channel, we can finally explore materials that have never been used before. That's really cool. I can't wait to be able to eat the bottle after I'm done with it. It will probably not promote eating it, but it will. Be, I, we're going for technically edible, and you can like. I'm, I envision going up on a stage one day, putting it in a blender, blending it, and, and consuming it. Maybe we should put in some like nutritional value, but haven't thought about that too much. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be that'd be a lot of fun to do. But kind of on the on the flip side, just you know, thinking about the practicality, if the bottles are made to not last, uh, won't they fall apart if there's liquid inside of it? Yeah. So, uh, right now we, it, it's made for immediate consumption and we're not putting these in cases. We're not putting mm-hmm. these on shelves. It's actually made right there, like for you, um, when you get it from one of our, our points of sale. Um, so it's not going to fall apart because, um, when you get it, it, it was just made a second ago. And yeah, if you keep it for a week or something, um, mechanical properties start to degrade, it will get flimsy and it will fall apart. But, you know, just like a paper cup, it's kind of on that spectrum. It, it is a, a bit more delicate than a plastic bottle, uh, but you can still put it in your backpack for a, a day or a few days and not worry about it leaking on anything. And then also yeah, the bottles have a shelf life. So even though it's not filled. We have to use them within a certain amount of time because the properties of uh, our materials start to degrade and eventually we can't use them any longer. So we actually do have to uh, try to make our bottles and get them into the field and used um, in a pretty quick amount of time in order to have a product that can you know, withstand a consumer's perception of what it should withstand. Cool. Well, that's, uh, it's good that it won't just uh, you know, turn into a puddle in your hands as you're holding it. Uh, so you mentioned that the drink is made right when the consumer basically purchases uh, a drink at the point of sale, and, and those are called drop stations. So drop stations are, are unique because they, they actually kind of serve two purposes. First of all, they hold the empty compostable bottles, as you were just saying. Um, and then second, the machines actually fill those bottles with uh, fresh tap water, which is locally sourced, plus any flavoring and or caffeine that the user or consumer chooses to to include, um, and that only happens like like you were saying at that moment that they actually purchase it. So so basically, the drop station is like a mini bottling plant that makes custom drinks to order. I know you kind of mentioned it, but just to kind of really hit the nail on the head here, why do you fill the bottles inside the drop station instead of just transporting the water in the compostable bottle? The obvious answer is. 
so we don't transport water. And transporting water, you know, it's really heavy. It takes up a lot of volume and it's uh, very costly. And not just monetarily is it expensive to transport it, um, but also environmentally. Like there's uh, so much fossil fuels are being spent transporting water. Just imagine like every bottle of water you've ever drank, every bottle of water you've ever seen in your life has been traveling down a freeway going 65 miles an hour. We don't want to support that any longer. We want the, to use the water that's at use so we don't have to keep on, you know, transporting water all over the world. Um, yeah, and that's the main reason. And then the other reason is so we can create custom drinks. So we, we don't just do water. We also do different flavored and functional drinks. Uh, and if you fill at the point of purchase, you know, this product uh, the is is not determined what it's going to be yet. So you have an empty bottle inside the machine. It's just waiting for for a consumer to determine what it's going to be. So maybe it's going to be like a flavored drink with caffeine, ice cold. And then uh, once that information's known, boom, you can fill it. And the, the supply is really determined by the demand uh, instantly. So our machines, they hold about 1,440 bottles. Uh, almost 1,500 bottles, and all of them can be the same drink, or it can be an even distribution of like 30 different types of drinks. And that's very valuable um, and reduce a lot of cost with stocking as well. Really good point. You mentioned ice cold, caffeine, and, and flavors. What are some of the, the other things that you can customize? Or what, what are the flavors and what are the custom options? Well, the whole goal here is to make any drink with our points of sale. We're building the backend infrastructure to make a new distribution on rails system uh, for any beverage. But for right now, the things we offer are you can choose different flavors. So right now we offer guava, melon, uh, spot cucumber, mint. Um, and then after that, you can choose to add a functional aspect. So you can choose to add caffeine and you can choose how many milligrams of caffeine you want. And then you can choose, choose temperature. And a few things we're working on are probiotics, uh, sparkling, and also different adaptogens like L-theanine, uh, melatonin. So if you want a calming drink, like if you want to go to sleep on a plane, you can get a drink that promotes uh, calmness and, and being tired. If you want you know, to have an immunity boost, we can have a drink with vitamin C and really tailor the drink to the consumer's need. Um, and, and so we're really opening up the possibilities for personalized nutrition in bottled drinks. And um, that's just a benefit from not transporting water and, and making the drink uh, instantly when the consumer wants it. Super cool. Yeah, I love the, uh, the options. As you're saying, I mean, you can just keep adding more and more and eventually it can be completely custom made to, or is that the dream essentially just to make it custom anything goes yeah i think well the dream is is to make this uh, a platform for any drink and then it's a whole new market segment it is going to be customization and we're kind of leading the way and we don't know how big it is going to be and we don't know how receptive consumers are going to be to it so that's not the the focus but it could be something that's really valuable and really big in the future but i would say the dream is we can make any drink at the point of purchase from sparkling to flavored to probiotics to functional um, to coffees and teas. And yeah, that's all in our, our, our future. Um, and we're pursuing all of that. Yeah. 
Super cool. Uh, going back to transporting water, and you mentioned that basically any water bottle I've ever seen uh, or drank from has been transported from far away. You know, and it, there is fossil fuels that were burned to basically get it to that point where I saw it. Uh, just a thought that occurred to me, um, you know, when you travel and you go abroad, I've seen American brands in different continents or, you know, you see Fiji water in the US. So, I mean, are those not only being driven, but also either on boats or planes? Yeah. Yeah. So that I'm not going to name any specific brands, but yeah, it's happening a lot. And um, it's it's amazing how much money brands will spend just to say it came from a particular spring um, on, on like an Island on the other side of the world. And I think that the consumers are going to really shape how the future of, of bottled drinks are going to look in, uh, in the near future. Um, I think it's not going to be as appealing to consumers to go, Oh wow, this water traveled you know, 10,000 miles to get to me. Um, I think that's not going to be something that's idolized any longer, uh, especially with the next generation coming on, uh, mm-hmm. Gen Z, I, they're more going to value how their impact uh, affects the world or how their behaviors affects the world. And uh, products like this are, are not going to fly with them anymore. You know, they're not going to see value in it. And, and it's, it's kind of silly that we uh, saw value in this at all, um, considering we have uh, amazing tap water in so many places. And it's so easy to filter water, even if, if you don't want uh, chlorine in it or, or want a good tasting water. It's so cheap to do that and so easy to do that. It just won't make sense anymore um, to idolize these brands whose value proposition is this came from a long ways away. I think it's a, that's a really good point. And it's, it seems like a pretty clever marketing strategy as well, you know, to put on, on your bottles just that this has traveled zero miles. <laughs> yeah. I mean, people certainly appreciate that when it comes to food now. You know, you, you know, like, oh, this came from a farm that was just outside the city, for example, or even better, this was grown in an urban garden next door. And like, I walked there to pick it up. Yeah. Uh, and especially like you're saying, the younger generation, that's what they're all about. Going back to the, to the drop station specifically, because I know that this is a really big part of, of what you do and what you spent a lot of time on designing and perfecting. How exactly does the drop station work? Because it's it's a pretty unique machine, and it really stands out when you're when you see it. Yeah. So so the drop station, it's pretty simple how it works, but it was complex when you get into the weeds and really ma- try to make it happen. So essentially, you plug in a drop station to any normal electrical outlet, and then you hook it up to water. And water is in every building. So luckily, we have that going for us. And then. It uses some pretty sophisticated robotics uh, to take packaging that's that's compressed and stacked together. We actually hold over 200 bottles per cubic foot, and it autonomously creates drinks for you. So it, it fills it and closes closes it in a matter of seconds using really accurate mechanisms, and um, it delivers it to you through a rotating door. The priority was to do it as safely as possible. Um, so we have UV sterilization. This water is filtered, uh, to a very high level and then also, uh, reliability. So there's a a lot of sensors in place to ensure that the product is going to be delivered to the consumer. Um, you know, no matter what, 
Uh, and it's been taking you quite a while to actually get it to that point. I think uh, when you see it work, it, it's so smooth that you don't really realize how many kind of pieces and components there are that actually make the magic happen. Thank you. Yeah, it's been an evolution for sure. And we've had a lot of failures. Um, and it's really been an, a, an evolving product to get to the point where it's at today. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. And so, I mean, I think, you know, one of the benefits of of the drop station is, uh, you know, as we're talking about extensively, is that the drink is made right there. It's not actually sitting in any sort of bottle at all. It's just in, it's just tap water, really. It's like a water fountain on massive steroids, really. Um, and, you know, I think at least I remember hearing for many years now, the potentially or actual negative health consequences of drinking water that's been inside a plastic bottle, uh, especially if it's been sitting in like a hot car. That's That was a big one, I remember, uh, because the fear is that the plastic is leaching into the water and then we're drinking that and that's not very good. I'm curious to know how long on average, if you know someone's buying a bottle of water from a vending machine or from a store, uh, how long on average do you think the water sits inside a plastic bottle before we actually drink it? Yeah, that answer varies wildly depending on where you're getting the bottle from. And mm-hmm. you, you don't know until you look at it. And it could be a month, it could be many months, it could be a year um, before you're actually consuming it. Um, and yeah, there it, there are concerns with you know what happens to that water when it sits in a bottle for six months and what happens if it, if it's in the sun and it's, and it's at a very high temperature. And so that means, well, like you're saying that drop water isn't just reducing plastic waste. I mean, that's, I think a really big part of what spurred this, um, as you mentioned, when you're in San Luis Obispo, but you're also providing a really healthy or a much healthier alternative to bottled water. Uh, cause that's just not even possible to that issue isn't even possible to happen with your drop stations. Are there any other health benefits? You mentioned, you know, that you're going to be adding uh, all sorts of vitamin options to it. Is there anything else that you're uh, that you currently have or you're planning to have to take the health benefits even even more? Yeah. So, you know, I, when I describe my company to people, I usually tell them about our brand Drop Water. Um, but you know, the core of our business is making this vast distribution network, which will replace the uh, really inefficient, you know, central distribution network. Um, but for our brand, Drop Water, um, we are really going health forward. So we're only going to make drinks that are, you know, sugar-free, that you can drink every day and, and not sacrifice your health, as opposed to, you know, the high sugar drinks that are that are out there currently. I think that's really important. It's, uh, you know, it's like, it's it's good for the people buying it, but also you feel good about what you're selling and you know that, I mean, I would imagine if I were in your shoes, it would just feel really good knowing that people who are drinking my drinks, they're going to be healthy and better for it. Uh, and there's no kind of guilt or moral questions around it. Yeah, it feels great. Um, I don't know if I could sleep at night if I was making a product that was addictive and at the same time, you know, harming harming the consumer. Um, I I think... The industry is in is shifting away from high sugar drinks because demand is is decreasing for it, and people are waking up and realizing what is good for them and what is not good for them. So, um, you know, not only will I sleep better at night if we make good products, I think it's gonna you know be much better for our business in the future. 
because consumers are are definitely going to shift over to more healthy products. Yeah, I I think so too. Uh, there is definitely this movement in the kind of toward the health industry. Speaking of about business, um, when we were talking uh, at your office, you mentioned that sustainability often makes good business sense, uh, just because oftentimes it means the business can really cut costs by removing unnecessary waste and optimizing processes. Uh, you just mentioned that it's really expensive to transport water, and it, it's a really kind of bizarre idea to transport water considering that there is water basically everywhere in the U.S. So um, cutting costs is, is a very important part of profitability. Um, but in addition to that, does focusing on sustainable and, and healthy alternatives as you are, uh, as you're doing, does it allow you to also increase profits in some ways because you're able to provide a higher quality product that people will value more? Um, definitely. So, you know, optimizing for efficiency, it, it decreases cost. If you're more efficient, you spend less energy, you decrease cost. Um, and then also you know, creating a healthy product, um, you know, people and eco-friendly products, people are willing to pay a bit more for that. And it's not necessarily true that you're going to make more money or more profit from it because oftentimes, uh, eco-friendly materials cost more than, um, what's currently out there and what's being massively produced. But I think the trend is we're going to see an increase in, in materials that are more eco-friendly. Therefore costs will come down and eventually we can compete on a unit per unit basis with polyethylene, with compostable plastics when, volume has increased enough. But to go back to the efficiency, yeah, efficient being more efficient cuts cost. And with us, you know, we transport about one twentieth the weight compared to traditional bottlers. And we, we also transport about one tenth the volume compared to traditional bottlers because our, our bottles kind of stack and, and nest together. And that is a huge cost savings operationally. It's it's over an order of magnitude less to get a bottle drink into a consumer's hand. Well, yeah, that's phenomenal. Um, that makes a lot of business sense in that case. And I, I mean, you were, you were just mentioning uh, that, you know, people are moving towards this healthy alternative. And there's obviously a lot of kind of, I think people are starting to become aware of the fact that plastic is bad and there's a lot of it all over the place and we should kind of reduce our consumption. But are you seeing that the market is ready and wants alternatives to plastics, uh, specifically to plastic bottles, and people are really trying to reduce their use of plastic and that they're trying to change that those habits of using plastic? Is that something that's kind of you're seeing on a day-to-day -day basis from, from a business point of view? Definitely. That's something we're seeing today and it's only going to increase. Um, a great example is SFO, San Francisco International Airport, is the seventh largest airport in the U.S. in terms of you know volume. And mm -hmm. they are banning bottled water by 2021. And this is an airport. So bottled water is a pretty important thing. It is the most common thing sold at airports. It makes up, and I, read, I listened to a talk by their head of sustainability. They mentioned about 20% of their concession sales, food and bev concession sales, is just from bottled water. So this is a massive thing they're giving up, um, and it's because people are are waking up and they're realizing this product is harmful. We we probably shouldn't be doing this, and and I, I applaud SFO for doing this and potentially sacrificing a lot of revenue. 
for the betterment of humanity and setting an example for other airports uh, to follow suit. Yeah, that's amazing. I actually did not hear about that. That's so cool. Uh, But 20% of concession sales is massive. Yeah, they're going to have to find alternative ways to really replace that revenue. That's, that's That's a lot of money. I thought it was really interesting that the drop stations have free water refills. Uh, Can you explain, first of all, what that part looks like on the drop station and then what the thought process is behind giving away free water? Yeah, so we we think that people should be able to just refill bottles. That's the most efficient way to do things. If you have a refill of a bottle, we want you to refill it. And so every drop station right now has a free refill. It's really easy to use, quick laminar flow spout. It fills up your bottle in just a few seconds. And it's always going to be free. So we're doing that so we can promote the most sustainable way of hydrating. And then also we could be installed next to a water fountain or replace an old water fountain and and still offer those refills at those locations. Yeah, I think it's really good marketing as well. People are just coming up to your machines, even if they don't buy anything, they're, you know, pressing that big wooden knob that or button. Is it a wooden button? I thought it was wooden. Yeah, it's a it's a bamboo button. And so yeah, the yeah. entire front of our machine is bamboo. And it's it's real bamboo. It's like plyboo. And it's like encircled by a cool glowing ring. And yeah, we, we want people to use our machine and we want people to interact with it and understand our mission and you know see what we're doing. And eventually we're going to offer more than just water from that side. So if you wanted a guava water with some caffeine um, or tea or something, you could refill from that side for a small fee. Oh, cool. So you don't need to actually go through the get your own. You don't have to get a drop water bottle. You can just use your own reusable one and, and just do that. So, you, so your website says that 100% compostable bottles are really just the beginning you believe in a future where single-use products are made from or packaged in materials that are biodegradable, like a banana peel? And you mentioned it earlier, it really should just be a fruit skin. I think that would be absolutely amazing if every single piece of packaging ever used would just decompose when you're done with it. Personally, a couple of things I'd love to see completely replaced are styrofoam. And you know, we've heard, I mean, I've, I've seen it everywhere, how bad styrofoam is. Uh, and also single-use hot beverage cups. Uh, you, you were saying earlier that they're lined with plastic and there might be even aluminum inside some of these these cups. Uh, so, I mean, do you have any ideas on what packaging you'd like to create compostable versions for? So, yeah, our goal is to make all bottled drinks in compostable packages. Um, not just compostable, but, but home compostable, not just home compostable, but edible. Mm-hmm. And that is what we're going for. And that's the system that we're building to, to enable that. Um, but not much has been done in the materials world for, for packages that are only made to last for a few moments. Um, we're seeing some companies just beginning to get off the ground and distribution is going to be really hard um, you know, to really compete with and displace the current method because, you know, of course, you can't just have a finished product hundreds of miles away from your end consumer. You're going to have to be creative on how to get that product to the consumer so they can, they can drink it. And it probably most of the time it'll have to be made in front of them instantly like we're doing. So, yeah, the goal is we should make all packaging for products eventually biodegradable and be able to you know, be processed by nature itself. The current scale that we're producing bottled drinks at is insane. We, we produced over 480 billion bottles of water 
in 2017. If you assume each bottle's eight inches long, you could wrap those bottles around the equator over 2,500 times. Mm. So even mismanaging a small percentage of that and getting it into our environment is devastating. Because this is such a big industry, we need to be prepared um, and make packaging that can end up in our environment and not sacrifice our ecology. Um, and, and that's the goal for, for drop water. And that's the, the platform we're trying to build and, and get the ball rolling in the right direction. Yeah, I think that's really important. And I definitely want to come back to that. I'm curious to know, just in terms of you know tackling all the various types of packaging that's used, which one, which material or which you know product packaging would you say or do you think is the most challenging one to to replace with something that's biodegradable or compostable um you know which one's the hardest to change i don't have a good answer i would say i think the hardest thing is not necessarily making the package that is an alternative to a non-eco-friendly package it's making the back-end platform which enables the package so you know in particular we are focusing on bottled drinks I want someone else to focus on uh, food. I want someone else to focus on other industries um, that isn't just bottled drinks. I want all packaging for food. I want all packaging to be made not to last. And that's going to be a huge challenge. It's going to take a lot of smart people. And we're not the only answer. We're a small part of a very big picture. And we're hoping to be that catalyst for change uh, to show people that we don't have to think the same old way. We don't have to use the same old distribution chain that's keeping packaging, uh, you know, in this eco-friendly or non-eco-friendly state. We can change the entire system. There needs to be a system level change in order for this to happen, and it's gonna it's gonna require all different types of skill sets, not just packaging. It'll, it's gonna involve robotics. It's gonna involve software. It's gonna involve logistics. It's gonna it's gonna be you know a global multi faceted like thing that's that must happen in order to make sustainable packaging uh, on a large scale it's a really big question i mean it's a very kind of complicated situation just because of the first thing that comes to my mind is like for some reason i keep picturing ketchup packets you know ketchup packets are they're so small and yet they're really convenient not that i'm promoting fast food and especially after you know, saying how healthy drop water is. But if you are, if you do need ketchup packets on the go, it's challenging to find kind of a compostable version of that. We got to make a pack, a ketchup packet machine at every, at every restaurant, at every fast food chain. And when you need ketchup packets, it spits a few out and it makes it right then and there. And it's good for a couple of days. Um, instead of making, you know, hundreds of millions of them in a centralized facility months before mm. we have to break up that, that system. So I would say my, the answer to that, if we want to make eco-friendly ketchup packets, we have to make a little machine that goes into uh, the stores and, and makes it on the fly. Yeah. Super cool. I bet, I bet that ketchup would actually even taste much better because you wouldn't need as many preservatives and it would just be fresh. Oh, that'd be cool. If you could like put tomatoes on the top and, and like blends them up and oh man, do you know Sir Kensington's ketchup? It tastes awesome. You could make a superior product, probably. It could be more fresh. It could be made right then and there. Yeah, made to order. Packaging is such a big industry. It's so broad. There's so many things that require packaging. You know, you, you start to kind of give a little bit of hints in terms of what you're looking to do next and, you know, some of the ideas that, that you have. Are there any 
other insights that you have in terms of future plans for Dropwater? Yeah, the future for Dropwater, you know, we want to be a platform for as many brands as possible. We kind of want to be like the AWS for bottled drinks. So, um, you know, the brand we're making today might not exist in the future. We we want to see as many different products and different brands and different um, ingredients go through our platform to make it as as effective and as eco-friendly as possible and displace this nonsense of transporting all this water. And I, I heard it, an article recently and it said like, by 2050, we're going to have as much plastic in the ocean as fish. And that just, it's terrifying. And we need to do something about it now. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, um, and you mentioned earlier that there is this mismanagement of the waste and perhaps it's not all of it, but a small percentage. But um, do you have any thoughts on why there's so much plastic in the ocean now? And um, I mean, how is it, how does it even end up in there in the first place? Well, it's, it's simply the misuse or mismanagement of plastic. You know that quote from Spider-Man where, like, the uncle says, with great power comes great responsibility? Yep. yep. Um, we are misusing a great power, and plastic is an amazing power. Without plastic, we wouldn't have LCD screens or MRIs or life-saving, te- like, medical technology, but... Um, so obviously it's very powerful, but there's this flip side where we're using it for a single use disposable package to, you know, wrap water, um, in plastic and ship it from hundreds of miles away. And that is a, a gross misuse. And we need to stop doing that immediately. We need, we need to find a different way. If we have to keep on doing that, let's find a different way where we don't need all these requirements on the package and we can start using other materials. Yeah, that's that's how it gets into the environment. It's it's we're we're producing so much plastic. It's on a scale that's almost incomprehensible. Um, as I mentioned before, you know, in 2017, we made as many bottles. Um, we made 480 billion bottles of water, enough to wrap around the equator 2,500 times, enough to go from the surface of the Earth to the Moon, something like 25 times, and that's just one year's production. And it's growing. It's becoming worse every year. So now is the time to change and now is the time to think about alternative ways. And um, to answer your question more specifically, how does plastic get into the ocean? It gets caught up in waterways. Like imagine a piece of plastic that uh, flies off of a garbage truck. It happens all the time, every day, like every second. There's garbage flying off of garbage trucks, um, especially straws because they're so light. And especially styrofoam too. They go on the street, it rains, the rain brings it into the gutter, the gutter brings it to a little creek, the creek goes into a larger river, the river goes into the ocean, and that's where it's going to be forever. Like, it's going to sit there on the surface of the ocean because it's lighter than water, and it is going to be photodegrade. That means, like, the sun is degrading the polymers and it starts breaking up into smaller pieces, and those pieces eventually get mis- mistook as, as life uh, and become consumed or by, by actual sea life. And that can cause death. It can cause like birth defects. A lot of plastics have uh, harsh chemicals in them, which can cause a whole assortment of, of negative effects, especially if you eat that fish. And um, it, it's really sad that, that this is happening and, and it continues to grow every year. It's really unfortunate, and you, you see all these photos of you know different sea life or birds that have stomachs full of plastic, 
Uh, and it, it's, it's very, very sad. And, and like you said, you know, we do need to do something about it. And I think that ties in very, very neatly with why you started Dropwater in the first place is this is really one way to change that and to make a big, big impact. Um, so, I mean, you're working very hard on, on Dropwater and, and you have really big plans for, for what's next. Are you optimistic about, about the future uh, in terms of plastic uh, and, and where we are? currently and you know do you see yourself living in a world where it's all been cleaned up and it's been completely replaced um i don't see myself in that world it's going to take longer than my generation it's going to be a a multi-generational problem to solve and but what is optimistic is seeing a movement from a younger generation and seeing a a lot of, of change in consumers just in the last few years and i think it's going to grow um, especially because I think the problem is going to get a little worse before it gets better. And I, I, I am optimistic that it will be solved eventually. I, I think that uh, humans are going to be around for, for many, many centuries to come and maybe millennia to come and that we're going to solve these problems and we're going to find a way to live and grow sustainably and, and become possibly multi-planetary and, and all at the same time, we're going to let this natural you know, life th- thrive on earth without exploiting it as much anymore and, and switch over to a, a different way to grow. And I think in the, in the past, in the, in the last hundred years, we've, we've grown without limits at all. We've grown, you know, as fast as possible, as quickly as possible for as cheap as possible and haven't um, upheld the environment. And we're now we're learning that, wait, we need the environment to survive and we need the environment to lead good lives. And so now we're going to switch over to um, a new way to grow. And on the forefront of, our, of this growth and expansion is going to be preserving the environment. Um, so yeah, I'm optimistic about it. It's going to take a, t- uh, a lot of time, but um, we're going to get there eventually. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear it. It's it's always good to hear optimism because sometimes, especially if you start reading the news, it just feels very dire and it feels like it's, there's no way out. I mean, as you say, you know, it, it's going to take a while. There's a lot to do, but you know, people like, like you and, and there's so many others who, who care a lot and they're trying and they're, they're doing whatever they can and coming up with some really interesting, uh, really interesting solutions. Uh, and it's not just in plastic, but in all sorts of different areas, um, you know, whether it's, uh, energy or uh, the way farming is done or cars and all of that you know there's so many different ways to to solve this problem um, I think it, I think it is good to be optimistic I think it makes sense so I'm glad to hear you that you are optimistic as well as, as we start to, to wrap up a bit I, I always love to hear about books or resources that you know you, you can recommend for anyone who's interested in learning more whether it's you know about the plastic issue or packaging or um, even something that inspired you to make some changes do you have any any books recommend or resources you can recommend yes I, I recent recently read a book called thinking in systems and it you know really nails um, you know, the point about Making not just marginal changes. So a marginal change in my field of work would be like making a plastic bottle thinner or making a cap smaller. That's a very marginal change that will not create much change, much uh, benefit at all. And thinking in systems, it highlights how uh, system level changes are really what create um, a significant impact 
And if you're looking to solve a problem in the world, I would suggest reading the book Thinking in Systems. It really gives like a, a macro uh, perspective on things, and um, and I think that's really important on, on solving big global problems. And it's helped us out, out a lot. That's awesome. Uh, that's by Vanilla Meadows. Yeah, that's right. Nice. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I think that's that's very important. And I mean, you, you've been talking this whole time about essentially making systemic changes. Uh, it's not you know like making smaller ketchup packets like we were talking about or like you said uh smaller bottle caps it's really completely changing the face of uh the face of the whole thing from the very bottom all the way to the top yeah i think you know making a smaller smaller ketchup packet or making a thinner bottle that just makes your product worse so maybe less people will buy it so that maybe um that's actually more beneficial than just reducing plastic in one package but yeah we need systemic changes in order to solve these big problems. And it's a lot harder to do that, but it's absolutely necessary. Yeah. Well, cool, Scott. Really appreciate your time. And this has been very interesting. Uh, where can people find you and learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, you can go to our website. It's dropwater.co.co. Um, you can you know, chat with us on Instagram. Our Instagram is at dropwaterco. And on Twitter and on Facebook. Um, and yeah, come say hi if you are interested in what we're doing. We'd love to hear what you think. Um, and you can find us at the San Jose airport in both terminals, um, at plug and play tech center at our lobby in Menlo park and soon many other airports. Awesome. Well, I had the, uh, I had the pleasure of actually trying out the drop water station at, um, at gate 26 at the San Jose airport. And I took it with me, uh, on the flight when I, after I, I visited, visited you and yeah, it was great. I got Let's see. I wanted to try the melon flavor. It was really good. Um, it was a, it was an evening flight, so I decided to skip the caffeine. But it was it was great to see it work, and it was cool. I, I was walking proudly holding the drop water bottle through the airport, and I got a lot of looks because it's a very unique and distinct bottle. You know, very very blue and has the drop water logo on it. So hopefully, some people got inspired along the way as well. Thanks, Scott, for your time. This was. Really interesting. Great to hear uh, your insight and, and really looking forward to the future and hope to see you on a stage drinking one of your bottles. Whole. Yeah. Everything. I'm going to eat a bottle. Trust me. It's coming. <laughs> I believe you. All right. Thank you, Daniel. Great talking to you. You too. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to learn more about Scott and his work, visit their website at dropwater.co, where you can also sign up for updates. If you enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe to the podcast to be the first to know about new episodes. We're on Spotify, the Apple Podcast app, Stitcher, and really anywhere else where you can listen to podcasts. And let us know you listened to this episode on Instagram. Tag us at dropwaterco and at sustainability matters today. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks and talk to you soon.